Welcome to the Who Cares podcast. I'm your host, Dan Hedinger. Care matters. And this podcast explores the question, how can we care better? Our guest today is Rob McPherson. Rob describes himself as a guy on a roof, looking down over people, seeing who needs care. You'll really enjoy the conversation with Rob. Uh, He's got some great insights. But before we talk to Rob, I just want to let you know this podcast is brought to you by Best Care Ministry. You can hear a lot more and read a lot more about what we do at bestcareministry.com. Go there for our blog. uh, Go there for uh, more episodes of podcasts. And we'd also appreciate it if you'd make a donation because your support helps us build a culture of care. Well, now as I talk to Rob, be listening for a couple of things. We actually talk about two subjects. We talk about care, but we also talk about evangelism and discipleship. This is one of the podcasts that is more of a a technique podcast where I interview professionals in the caring field and how they are carrying out their task in a church setting. Care is necessary, evangelism evangelism is necessary, but separately, neither one really works sufficiently. So let's go into my podcast with Rob and hear what he has to say about these two subjects. Rob, thanks for being here for the podcast today. I remember when you and I first had breakfast, the first time we met, Uh, down there in Castle Pines, and we talked about care ministry, and I heard that you had a heart for care. And when I meet somebody who has a heart for care, my radar just goes up, because not everybody does, but you did. Do you remember that breakfast? Uh, I do. Yeah, we were sitting outside, and it was uh, beautiful weather and a great conversation, and and I think we immediately uh, kind of our hearts touched and uh, knew that we were kindred kindred spirits uh, right off. Yeah, that's certainly the way I felt. Now, what's interesting to me is you are a businessman and you have a very responsible position of uh, a compliance officer and a real estate company, and uh, you have very important work. But in spite of the pressures of uh, professional life, something was stirring in you that was calling you to care. Can you explain that a little bit? Tell us what was going on in your heart. Yeah, I had actually just had back surgery. And uh, of course, whenever you go into a, a major surgery like that, there's a, you know, some fear hits and uncertainty and apprehension. And, and um, I was at the hospital and both before and after that, surgery, I, I just started thinking, boy, it would be nice to, to actually be able to talk to someone, you know, at the hospital. My wife was there, but, you know, someone that I can just uh, confide real deeply in. And then after that, I took that conversation uh, that I had had in, in, in my head with myself on, on um, you know, this whole idea of having someone at the hospital and someone to share my deep thoughts with. I had talked to the pastor at at my church. And he said, well, that sounds like chaplaincy. And before I knew it, I actually was enrolled in Denver Seminary within like three weeks. I'd filled out the applications and 
And uh, before I knew it, I was in classes with pastors and in a worship class, something that I never thought I, I would be doing. So uh, it happened really just with a nudge, my initial uh, step into care. And then you took clinical pastoral education and our conversations continued. I don't remember how many meetings we had, but at, at some point then you, you got a job as the chaplain at the same hospital that I had been at. And uh, you had some amazing, incredible and difficult experiences there. I mean, you were thrown into the deep end of the pool uh, right at the beginning of your care ministry career. Yeah, I think because I was older when I had uh, gone to seminary, there's a lot of uh, seminary students in their, you know, mid to late 20s and early 30s. I think because I was an older student, I they had left me alone pretty much to kind of learn on my own, which was probably the best thing. And, and yes, I encountered things that I, I really um, could hardly imagine, including the first half an hour I was there. Um, you know, in the uh, uh, emergency room, um, you know, a, an infant came in and, and just a difficult situation uh, all the way from, you know, that to very simple meetings where you go in and pray for someone who had knee surgery and, and then they're out in a few hours. So really the gamut of not only people needing care uh, and different kinds of care uh, to all kinds of, you know, people with all kinds of beliefs and non-beliefs and, and religions. And so it was an extremely interesting um, time at the hospital during the uh, clinical pastoral education phase. You know, Rob, uh, I, I think this is going to be a, a wave of the future in ministry. I just feel God calling more and more people to care. If somebody's listening to this podcast and they're in your situation, they're they're in business, uh, they have a career, or, uh, you know, they're, they're an older person, but they haven't been in ministry before, but now they want to do something like this. What advice would you give them? Well, we had just mentioned clinical pastoral education. I would highly recommend, um, you know, getting, uh, you know, a unit, uh, up to two or three units of clinical pastoral education. It's, it's patterned after a doctor residency program. So you get a lot of practical one-on-one -on -one experience. I did that at the Denver Seminary here in Denver. Uh, it, it's offered many other places too. It's great uh, at the seminary. They have an incredible program you know, here in Denver, but like I said, it's offered at, at numerous other places. I'd highly recommend that. Um, so that's, that's really the, the best training to get the, um, really hard tools to, to see different people in different places and settings. Uh, a lot of their places that you can actually go would be hospitals, but there's other places like hospice. And, and uh, as you know, that part of what I did was uh, become a, a care pastor at a church, which is a completely different environment than the hospital where you know, everyone has needs, but the needs at a hospital are very acute. So let's switch to that role of the church. Uh, the hospital's a clinical setting. The church is a parish setting. Uh, we're on the visiting field when we're in the clinical setting. We're on the home field when we're in the church setting. How's the 
how do you feel the church setting is different? Before you answer the question, uh, uh, for the listeners, uh, Rob and I have had the honor of serving at the same church. And uh, I uh, stepped away from that church. And as I was stepping away, uh, Rob stepped in. And I think we were there together for a little while. Uh, but uh, Rob became the care pastor after I left the church. And I'm so thankful Rob did. Uh, and he's really placed an emphasis on on caring for people one-on-one. But back to my question, how would you describe the difference between the home field and the uh, the away field, the clinical and the parish? Yeah, what's, what's something you have to really have in mind at all times when you're in a setting with people of all different beliefs is... Um, this phrase that they actually use in the military, which is cooperation without cop- compromise. So you're you're providing care, and you're you're uh, you know providing unconditional love and a lot of uh, listening to people with all kinds of beliefs. And like I said, often even what they would consider no beliefs from a spiritual standpoint. So at the same time, you can't compromise your own beliefs. So it's a it is a very delicate situation to to provide um, appropriate care at uh, a clinical situation because you're you're really dealing with the public, and that's what really requires a lot of the training. Uh, you know, prior to going into those kinds of situations, the church is different in that when people walk into the church, you 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 have an assumption. Yes, they're at different levels of maturity, but they don't have, um, you know, they're not uh, antagonistic towards the church. They're already in the church. So, you know, you don't have to uh, maintain that same type of uh, concern over uh, evangelizing or things that you may not want to do or proselytizing that may come up in, in the uh, the general public uh, arenas. So, there you need to make sure that that you're you're not i mean i think of verses like um uh romans 116 of you know not being ashamed of the gospel you know in in any situation but for surely at a church where you're providing care and the first thing that you're doing is listening and you're obviously dealing with the immediate needs depending on the level of crisis someone's in but you can't be ashamed of the gospel either. So there is a time that when the, the door is open and the people are um, moving forward in their crisis into um, a lessening of that crisis where people are often struggling with what their identity is and, and where they came, you know, they may have been in a divorce or uh, somebody uh, lost in their family, family member, a spouse, uh, so you work through those situations, but at the same time, it's, at some point, um, you know, what is their identity? Where are they in Christ? And, you know, what are they struggling with? And how do we get them back into the church and moving forward in a uh, way with the other members of the church instead of this separate crisis group that they've been involved in? That's uh, that's well said. Now we're into a, fra- a phase where we're talking about the church. So l- let me set this up a little bit. You and I both respect 
all levels of ministry in the church. We respect the preaching. We respect the worship. We respect the teaching and child ministry and all of that. But how do you distinguish care ministry from all of that? Or how how is it different or how does it relate? Well, uh, often people in crisis, uh, when, when they're in that crisis, it's a prominent uh, time in their life. And that's when they make some really big decisions of, of you know, pushing away from God uh, or, or seeking the Lord. And so they, those are prominent times in people's lives. And to actually come by people and be with them while they're going through that is really can be a profound time. And, you know, Dan, we've talked about this. Uh, some of the prominent speakers in the country, after they've come back from vacation or, or from retirement and they come back to the church and they have some kind of a going away party or something like that, and people come to them and, and they're thinking they're going to talk about their sermons and the, the main points of the sermons, this prominent, what the preacher thinks is their best sermon of all time or their best series, and they don't. They talk about the time that they lost their spouse or the time that their child had been in an accident or things like that. So the, the things that really matter and people really remember tend to be on the care side. Yeah, Timothy Keller in a podcast I listened to described that event happened to him, and he is well known for being an exceptional preacher, but they remembered the way he cared, not what he said. And so I, I again, do not want to diminish preaching, but I do want to say that care is where transformation takes place. It's where real engagement and contact at the time of people's need. And the church that recognizes that is going to uh, have people grow at a deeper level and they're going to contact people uh, better as well. So for you and me, we've been blessed that that's our focus in ministry. And maybe more churches will start hiring guys like us, or at least uh, having volunteers in this position. Tell me some examples of when you would encounter people in their time of need that perhaps a senior pastor wouldn't, not because he wasn't caring, but he had responsibilities and he was up preaching and, and you were among the people. Can you come up with a couple of examples? Um, yeah, I, I can come up with an example, which I think even relates to even more to our topic today, uh, a meeting with a uh, woman who had just been uh, left by her husband and was in shock over that. And we initially met and, um, you know, incredibly emotional uh, time of just sharing what had happened, which was a uh, an event that will be uh, on her heart forever based how it happened and, and the event itself it was really a horrific thing and how the separation occurred so just spending time uh, with her uh, spending time uh, a week later and then a week later you know meeting numerous times as the initial uh, crisis started to uh, diminish but then periodically meeting and, and, and walking 
her through uh, all of the emotions and the the actual uh, divorce settlement before they met with the attorneys. And during that process, uh, which the the interesting thing was, I was in, in seminary at the time, and uh, we were doing something called verbatims, which some people may not be aware of, but that's where you during the, uh, the CPE, the clinical pastoral education program, you kind of walk through as much as you can remember of a conversation and what happened uh, during that conversation. And then you get input of how you did. Well, there was this particular situation. I'd been meeting with this person for about six months and I had this overwhelming feeling that I needed to present the gospel and ask her for a decision and actually did that. And so it progressed from a super crisis uh, over a four or five, six month period to actually getting into who she was uh, as a person and what her, what was her identity in. And um, she, she ended up giving her life to the Lord, recommitting herself and, um, that was an extremely uh, powerful time for me. Uh, the The interesting thing is, is in the class, I had some criticism because this is the, the tendency with chaplains is uh, in a um, public setting is not to share the gospel and, and to be very cautious of, of um, you know, when people are struggling with, with Christ in a crisis situation that you don't proselytize. Uh, but this was a church situation in a church setting of someone who had been going to the church. So it's a different setting. Well, fast forward a couple of years, uh, I, I try to meet with this person every year just to see and check in how they're doing. And they know the very date that they accepted the Lord, and it was a profound time for them. So I, I know I did the right thing, and that was really a, a prompting of the Holy Spirit, uh, which um, happens in a long-term care situation. But uh, you wouldn't see that as much in a, a short-term situation, especially uh, in a, a public-type setting when you're dealing with all kinds of faiths and beliefs. You and I believe that Christ is the one who heals. And, and he is the one who makes the difference in a person's life. Our, our care may lead to that, but our care is very minor in comparison to to that dramatic event. Uh, however, I, I'm overwhelmed that if we don't do our part right, we may never get to that event. Because if this woman was overlooked, if this woman was not cared for, uh, if nobody had followed up on her for six months like you did, or spent the time listening to her story, she might never have, have gotten to that point. Tell us about the time you met her, Rob. I, I'm remembering you telling the story. I, I hope this is the one uh, where you saw a woman sitting in the congregation and you went up and introduced yourself to her. She was sitting there kind of lonely uh, all by herself, getting ready for the service. But she wasn't really there for that service. She was there for you that day because she was there with a broken heart and you just went up and, and something happened. Uh, can you tell us about that? And, and was this that woman? <laughs> well, you know, I'm not sure if that was the, the, the situation, but the, the interesting thing is you get into 
when I talked initially about being nudged and getting in, into seminary, uh, after about four months, uh, while I was in seminary, I had a dramatic calling. And again, this is for anybody who may be listening to this of, of you know, just taking a step, moving forward, listening to God, and then and then and then continuing to listen to God. Well, I had a dramatic calling about four four months into my seminary experience, and out of that came what is my purpose statement in life, which is I'm a perseverer who sees from the rooftop those who need help. I mean, that's who I am from a, a, my spiritual purpose statement. And so what you just described of a person sitting at church is, is something that I immediately detect in almost environment, any environment that I'm in. And that is a, it's something that God has given me a heart for. I'm just drawn to that. And as it turns out, um, going back to this dramatic calling, it came from, I had uh, dreams that were repeated numerous times at, as an, around an eight-year-old child. And I had forgotten about those dreams for 55 years and God brought those back to my attention and uh, you know, connected that to a, a poem at, at seminary about rooftop people, which is uh, what a chaplain is, is they look from the rooftop and it's kind of like, chaplain's kind of like a Marine. They, they, they see what's going on and they go right to the crisis. They're, they're not timid at all. And that is just how God built me. And he, he uh, prepared me for that over a 55 year period, kept it hidden. And uh, in a sense, unleashed me um, at, at a certain age to, uh, to see people that are in need and be drawn to them. So I want to repeat that line you said, uh, looking from the rooftop, looking from the rooftop. That's a beautiful picture. And I remember standing in the back of the same church where you stand and just looking over the congregation from the left to the right, from the right to the left and spotting people that I knew were going through things. And the longer I was there, I would look across and I would go, I see so many people who have experienced loss and heartbreak and trauma or who are going through it right now. And I begin to have a different perspective. I, I didn't just see a group of people who needed to be interested in my sermon, but I saw a group of people who needed to be cared for. And, uh, looking down from the rooftop, maybe we should all pray that that the Lord would give us eyes to see needs uh, and, and to look on the rooftop. And you saw this woman who, uh, who was hurting and, uh, and you were available to her. Can you think of, of, of anybody else from the rooftop you saw or any experiences you had like that when you, when you went and moved to people? Because Rob, a, a different phrase and a phrase I like to use, care is where the action is. I mean, this is where our, our faith really becomes real. Uh, excuse my redundance there, but where our faith becomes real when it connects with, uh, with people at their time of need. Uh, not just how many people we had in church that Sunday, uh, but how many people did we really engage with? And how many people did we engage with who were going through things? How well did we understand? How well did they feel like 
we understood their story and were listening to them. Uh, I know you had a bunch of experiences like this. You shared them with me as we've talked. Can you think of just one or two to, to share on this podcast? Well, uh, there's, a, there's a lot at the church, and, and that's where helping them through that crisis, what I, what I found is not only if God has given you and called you into the caring ministry, not only do you see people from the rooftop, but when you actually go to them, he gives you um, the, the presence and the ability to just listen. Uh, when, when I'm providing care for someone who's in, let's say, severe crisis, time stands still. It doesn't mean anything. I'm feeling, I feel almost as if I'm at the throne of God while I'm in that time of ministry. So I think if if you're called to do something like this, you know it when you're in situations like that. So, so Daniel, at, at church, there, there are numerous, numerous situations and, and just, you know, flipping immediately over to the hospital setting, it ranges anywhere from you walk in the room and someone says, oh, you're the chaplain. Can you pray for me? Immediately. To, I'm a Buddhist, so I really don't need you. And then the response is, well, tell me how you're feeling after your procedure. Uh, and, and so you immediately engage in a conversation and say, well, that's okay. I, I'm, I'm interested in you. Not, not what you believe, but what in you. So it, it, it runs the gamut when you're, when you're dealing with different people and, and really what you say to those people. Uh, and it seems easy you know, from the outside, maybe to just go, oh, I'm going to go and talk to people. But as we've talked about so many times, often it's that it, it's that statement or that reflection of what they just said. You're reflecting back what their, their statement was that someone's actually really listening to that person. And that's unusual. You know, we have a culture that doesn't listen too well. And, and people don't listen too well to each other. So when you immediately are able to be present and immediately show that you're going to be listening to someone, then they immediately start talking and will start sharing things, um, typically very fast. In a hospital setting, it's extremely fast because they know the time is short you know, with, with you there. In the church, it's a little different in that, you know, people want to, first of all, they have to trust you. Uh, and then, uh, and then they'll start opening up. Sunday, uh, in, in my church here, I, I'm standing after church with a cup of coffee and a guy comes up to me and he says, hey, I, I heard about you. I heard you talk to people who were grieving. And I said, well, what's your story? What's your grief? Uh, and I just stood there at the coffee table. And uh, this guy told me of two horrific tragedies 
in his earlier life. One when he was riding his bike with his brother and his brother fell off his bike in an awkward way and broke his neck and became a quadriplegic. And he was with him that day when that happened. And, and, and sadly, the, the boy didn't live long. He got pneumonia and died. It was, it was a, a tragic story. But this was just heavy in his heart, and he needed somebody to talk to. The pastor had preached the sermon. He's busy. He's working the room. People are pursuing him. I wasn't doing anything. I was just available. And I think that's what you and I get to do as care pastors is be available, especially for that need. And if we're looking from the rooftop, we're aware when those needs come, you know. And uh, so you describe that at the uh, the hospital. And uh, I'm just... Uh, you know, before we move on, are there any other examples you have of, of when you met people or, or maybe even how you met this, this person? Let me ask it this way. Where do you meet people most of the time? Is it in the lobby? Is it in the sanctuary? Is it at the prayer wall? Do people approach you? Where do you meet people who are in crisis most of the time in the church setting? Yeah, generally it's at the prayer wall. At the back of the church, as, as you're aware, in the, the, the church that, that we're at, and um, sometimes in the lobby, and often that's when other people bring people to me, uh, is they're talking to them, and they see there's a situation that they would like them to talk to the care pastor. Okay. But at the prayer wall, I mean, that, you know, you had asked about another specific time. Uh, there's a situation where you know, as you mentioned, that we're, you know, not putting down sermons at all because they were prompted by this sermon. It, it drilled their heart and they came back and and uh, they had just been visiting and they disclosed what had gone on and how God was speaking to them. And they came back probably every, every Sunday for four months. And the the really neat thing in that situation is is I, I worked with them and uh, during that time and listened and then I met separately they told their whole story for as long as it took I said I want you to I want someone at this church to know you and I'm here so so you know that somebody at this church knows you fully and everything that's gone on in your life and they shared for about three to four hours and it was about two months after that, that they asked me to baptize them. And so that was, again, spending time with them, uh, listening to whatever they're dealing with that week, which is different every week, and then finding out their whole history, which uh, there'd been a lot of things going on in that, that person's life, and they were only about 32. And what they had actually experienced was uh, really mind-boggling in a 32-year-old things that I had never even thought a 32 year old could actually experience. So, you know, those are the type of situations, uh, but there's nothing easy about it. It requires a lot of time. Uh, it, it requires a lot of listening and active listening uh, to where, you know, when hours go by and they're saying something, you're still engaged the entire time. You know, I, I heard a couple of things in, in what you just said. First of all, I heard that that care 
uh, really can be inconvenient. You know, uh, if, if you really care for somebody, it doesn't just happen by appointment or in uh, a very restricted time where you just check the box. Okay, I, I said hi to them. I asked them how they're doing so they feel cared for. I mean, here was a crisis and it, it required a lot of time. That uh, we, I think when we're going to care for people, we, we really need to be ready to do that. Uh, but then uh, for the second time, I, I heard that, that that led to something down the road. You know, that led to something months later. And for this person, it was their baptism. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's get to that point. I heard a uh, podcast, and I can't remember who said it a few months ago. I listened to the Carrie Newhoff podcast a lot. And if, you're, if our listeners are podcast listeners, maybe they've heard of him, one of the leading Christian podcasts in the country. He was interviewing somebody who said evangelism is dead. And... Uh, I don't know quite how to respond to that. I, I know evangelism as a topic is not dead, but maybe us performing evangelism has gotten so poor and so weak that it almost is non-existent. I wonder if that's because people don't care enough. People are too busy. People think evangelism is simply a a spiritual transaction that happens when a pastor asks people to raise their hands or fill out a card or something like that. Uh, why might evangelism be dead? Yeah, I think it's it's the the hurriedness of our culture because people know if someone starts sharing and they start sharing problems and issues, they know it's going to take time. And a lot of people are unwilling to commit to that time of just listening. And what, what kind of haunts me in the care ministry side, you know, you're providing this care and, and let's say someone's getting better and better. They're at the church. I know what to do at the hospital. It's a, a little, a little different. And that you again, you have to really uh, be careful as far as other people's faiths, and, and you can't compromise. But John five twenty four says, "I tell you the truth: whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life." So knowing that, you know, you have eternal life at stake of the people that you're dealing with. You can't just get them through the crisis in this, in this life. If they're, if you believe there's another life, which uh, as Christians we do, and that's the paramount issue, who is Jesus Christ and is he still alive? If someone confesses that and says that, then we know that they've crossed over from death to life. But if you don't get to that question, you know, as you go and walk through the crisis, as you're dealing longer and, and longer with someone, um, they may not have eternal life. And, and just helping them through their crisis in this world um, is maybe not where it stops. So we have an opportunity 
based on going through these crises with people is to take that next step and making sure, you know, where their salvation is and, you know, where are they in their faith? And, and we can ask those questions and we can do it in a way that's not threatening if it's in the, uh, more in the public arena. And we can be very direct in a, in a church setting. So you and I today are really talking about two subjects that each are important, but they are uh, amazingly connected. We're talking about care ministry and we're talking about evangelism, which also leads on to discipleship. One without the other is probably not gonna work. They both are required. And sometimes the care ministry is required for quite a long time. And I think the one thing that is that that I feel strongly about that uh, that we learned as chaplains is we have to care without an agenda. You know, I, I mean, as Christians, we may really hope they come to Christ, but we have to care for them whether they come to Christ or not. Like the Buddhist guy, we have to care about him because of who he is not because he believes the way we do or because he's going to come our way theologically. But when we care for people genuinely, I experienced like the, the Bible story of the miraculous catch. It's like fishing on the other side of the boat. You know, uh, that's where people respond and they, they respond to a person they can trust that they know cares about them. And then they also learn to understand that God cares for them, that, that what they're responding to is not merely a God who uh, is going to punish them because of their sins, but a God who loves them and is drawing them into a relationship and wants to heal everything that's wrong with them. And it, it makes evangelism and winning people to Christ work so much better. What, what would you say to that? Oh, ab absolutely. And the, you know, caring for someone's needs. I, I mean, I think I have two examples that, that really demonstrate what you're talking about. And both of those, I'll go back to the hospital setting is walking into a room and someone says, I'm the, you know, I'm the chaplain, they see it on my card and my name tag. And they say, um, I say, do you, can I get you some water? And they say, yes, and I get them some water. And that was, that's the extent of what I did. I just gave them water. And that was a demonstration of love and an immediate physical need. There was another situation that somebody had been in for back issues and they had been in quite often. It went back to their childhood where they were uh, in, in a sport that gave them issues and found out that their dad actually uh, abused them uh, uh, verbally and physically when they didn't win as an eight-year-old. And that person was carrying that huge grief from that, and they were uh, approaching 70. And when I had the discussion with them and, and how they approached God, because they were Christian, they had talked about going to church and... Uh, in their closeness to God, but at the same time, they were they were bringing this father relationship in into that 
um, a relationship with God and they, they were very much struggling with God and they said they had never prayed out loud. And we had a conversation that went on for a while longer and I talked about, you know, trying to bring in some healing with their father as just listening to the story, which I'm sure they hadn't shared very often in their life. And then I said, well, can we pray? And I said, can you try something? Can you pray? It's just say, Jesus, I love you out loud. And could that be your prayer? And they did that. And they prayed for the first time out loud in front of someone. So, you know, those two stories of, of that moment of just providing water and that's care to actually teaching someone how to pray to a father out loud uh, with the complications of their earthly father who had hurt them so badly. Uh, and that healing that took place just with the words of Father, I love you. Isn't it exciting to be in that role? Aren't you glad to be there, to, to be the person called to be there at that time? I, I don't want to make it about you or me, but I found it to be such pleasure to learn to be patient in care and then watch so many wonderful things happen. It, it was such an honor to be called to be a caregiver, to be a care pastor, to give care. Yeah, yeah in that situation, when I walked out of the room because I felt uh, the Holy Spirit's presence in that room just guiding me in the words to say, how to say it. When I walked out of the room, I couldn't decide whether to lie down on the floor and start crying because of, of that experience or just jump up and down screaming uh, because it was so exhilarating that, um, you know, I was there in that situation that God used me to provide so much healing uh, between her father and God the Father and to take that huge first step to actually pray out loud. Rob, I think you and I have uh, talked a lot about the right subjects today. I'd like to continue this conversation with you at another time, even as it goes on deeper into discipleship, because doesn't it always require the same skills? If you're going to help a person grow in their faith, you have to listen to them and their struggles. You have to be present with them. It's, it's the same thing. It's just further down the road. So why don't we talk about that another time? But I really want to thank you for being here with me today and sharing your story, uh, talking about how you got into care ministry and uh, talking about the, the components of care and evangelism, separate uh, but connected. So Rob, thanks for being here today. And will you come back again? Uh, yes, I will. Thank you for having me, Dan. It's a pleasure. You bet. I enjoyed that conversation with Rob McPherson. Thanks, Rob, for making yourself available and telling us your story. I especially loved that imagery of looking from the rooftops. That's a beautiful picture of the heart of care. I want to give thanks to Zach Harder for the opening song. And I want to give thanks to Jim Hedinger for the closing song.
title In the Midst of the Storm. For more of Jim Hedinger's music, go to his music on Spotify or Apple or at homebydark.com. Thanks to Andrew Hedinger for production and editing of this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Best Care Ministry. Please do not reproduce or use it without receiving permission. This podcast is brought to you by Best Care Ministry. To learn more about Best Care Ministry, to make contact with us, for a lot more information on care ministry, go to bestcareministry.com. And please consider making a donation so that we can learn how to care better than ever before and build a culture of care. In upcoming episodes, we will hear a lot of great information. Next week will be a dramatic story of a dad whose son was a drug addict and what it's like to live with an addict. We'll be talking to another dad who grieves his son's loss to a murder. We'll talk to people going through the choice of, do I choose hospice now or later or when? How do I do that? And many other stories will be coming up in the the following weeks of the Who Cares podcast. Now, if you would just take a couple of minutes and care for yourself, be still, be quiet, and be think, be thoughtful as you listen to the music of Jim Hedinger for two minutes.